Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the New Testament book of Luke. So I invite you now to please turn with me to Luke chapter 15, where I'll be reading verses 11 through 32. Luke 15, 11 through 32. If you are in need of a Bible, I encourage you to take one of those Red Pew Bibles in front of you and follow along as I read. Once again, Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. <clears throat> so they, be, they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Those worshiping, I'm sorry, those wishing to attend worship kid style are now dismissed. So we are taking a break from our sermon series through the book of Exodus. That's our normal habit to go chapter by chapter through books, but we're taking a break here for VBS Sunday to look at this parable of Jesus. Let's pray as we turn to his word. God and Father, just pray that you would be near to us, your children. 
as we hear from your word. Be with us sinners as we sit under it, and be with me a sinner as I seek to proclaim it. Be near all of us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It is possible, in fact I think it's common, to know a story really well and yet kind of completely miss the point of it. I think it is possible to know a story well and miss a significant part of it. And I think that's especially true of Bible stories. I was thinking about, as we had VBS this week, and watching these kids learn these familiar stories and parts of Scripture, I was thinking about two things. One is how good that is, and how glad I am that they're getting exposed to those truths. But the other is um, how often it's only scratching the surface. I often meet adults who kind of have this sense of like, oh yeah, I was like eight years old and I learned, you know, the Bible, and I'm like, really? (laughs) Because I... I think if you dug into it again, you'd find that there's a lot more there than you realize. And I can think of no more famous example of that than this, uh, one of Jesus' most famous parables, the so-called parable of the prodigal son. And so what I want to do this morning is to show you what I mean by that from this story. Show you how I think we often have a very incomplete way of telling this story and what Jesus is saying, and then show you why that matters and how it reveals something fundamental and beautiful about what Jesus is trying to do. So we're going to start by just telling this story. But first, before we get to our scripture reading, we should notice that in Luke 15, Jesus is really telling three stories, three parables. And all three of them are in response to this specific event. So back in Luke 15, 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's the setting for this story. So Jesus is eating and drinking and spending time with the tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors were kind of like the rich social outcasts in Jesus's world. They were like businessmen who had compromised with the Roman government. And sinners are kind of the poor social outcasts in Jesus's world, people who because they had sinned in certain really public, disreputable ways, weren't being included in broader society. And then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are the kind of morally upright people in Jesus's world, the politically correct, respected members of Jewish society. And so those people complain that Jesus is hanging out with the first two groups. They say that that is wrong, and Jesus replies to them with three stories— The story of the lost sheep, and the story of the lost coin, and then this one. So take that fact first. That's the setting Jesus is speaking into, and file that away. And then second, notice how the story begins. It says, Jesus says there was a man who had two sons. And again, stop there, because that indicates that the way we tell this story tends to be kind of incomplete. Because what does everybody call this story? If you've ever been around a church or looked in the Bible— It's the story of the prodigal son, but Jesus says this is actually a story of two sons. And for us to understand what it means, we have to understand what's going on with both of them. All right, again, file that away. We're going to come back to that. But then let's dive into the story and focus first on the younger son, the one that people tend to call the prodigal. So let's start in verse 12 with Jesus. He says that the younger son said to his father, 
Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. The younger son demands his inheritance. It's probably about a third of the father's estate, because in this world the older son gets the the majority share. But the younger son demands his share of things right now. And we should appreciate, in our world, that would be harsh, right? Saying, Dad, I want you to just give me my inheritance now so I can leave. In Jesus' world, where honoring your father was this enormously part of the, big part of the culture, that's about the most dishonoring thing you could do, right? To say, Dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Give me my inheritance. Let me just get on with things. And then the younger son's behavior continues to be bad. In verse 13, it says that not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So he cashes out his land. And again, this is, I mean, a serious challenge to his father too, right? Because this is a third of the farm that the family owned and was sustained by that the younger son sells off to somebody and takes the money and leaves and blows it, it says, in wild living, which the text doesn't go into detail, but you're supposed to picture like those, you know, wild music video party kind of lives, right? He starts living large. Then verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he spent all his money, and the economy turns bad, and he can't get a job. And then verse 15, it says he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. We should appreciate Jesus is Jewish, right? All the people he's speaking to are Jewish. And so not only is this like lowly work by our standards, but within Judaism, this is religiously unclean work. If you have contact with pigs, you aren't allowed to come to the temple and worship for a period of time. And if you're doing it every day, that means you're religiously excluded. And that leaves that lower, that son in a low place. It says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And we need to pause here in this story, because all of this is familiar, but here's the problem. In all of that, Jesus is starting to set a trap. That's actually what's happening, and we often miss it. He's setting a trap for the Pharisees, because this far in the story, this is exactly the kind of story that they would tell all the time, right? They're like, here's this Israelite boy, and he makes some bad choices, and he leaves for this pagan land, and he ends up destitute and unclean, and it's this kind of morality tale that would have been very familiar to the Pharisees, right? So Jesus is setting a trap. Keep reading. In verse 17, it says that when the younger son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So first it says the son comes to his senses, which is really a great, just vivid phrase of like he'd been in this fevered dream and suddenly he just wakes up and is like, what am I doing? He was chasing happiness in foolish ways and finally realized, man, what have I come to? And more than that, he starts to reflect on what he has left. He thinks back to his father's household and the joy and bounty there and realizes that he was wrong, that he was a fool, here in this pigsty. And so then this is what the younger son decides to do. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And there's two things about this moment that we need to understand. 
two things about what the younger son is doing. One is that there's something good that Jesus is recognizing in the younger son. That in this he is repenting of his sin. He's repenting. In Christianity, repentance means owning and grieving your sin. Repentance is owning and grieving your sin. It's not suddenly becoming perfect. It's not not struggling anymore. But it's also not the kind of, I'm sorry, that politicians do when they get caught. It is an owning and grieving of your sin. And the younger son here is expressing that repentance. He recognizes that he has done his father wrong. He recognizes that he has done God wrong. And he recognizes that because of that, there's a sort of humbleness he has to have, that he doesn't deserve to come back to his father and get anything. He says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me your hired servant, which is the same word for slave. And we do need to appreciate that that's real repentance that's happening for the son. Sometimes some people in the church make light of sin and think that God's attitude is like, hey, you know, don't worry about the wrong stuff you're doing. We're cool. Just, just don't worry about it. And that's not how Jesus presents this story. He is saying that there's a real repentance that we need to have. He eats and drinks with sinners, but he does call them to recognize and turn from their sin. However, while this is real repentance, and that's good, this is also the next step in the trap that Jesus is setting for the Pharisees. Because still, this is the kind of story that they would be okay with. The Pharisees are okay with the idea that sinners can recognize that they're wrong and repent and come back and be slaves. In fact, that's basically what the Pharisees think should happen. Their issue is not with the idea that these sinners could kind of come back into God's people and be a part of it. Their issue is that they feel like they should be treated as second-class citizens. That, you know, that these are the kind of mess-up, you know, like bad people, and they can kind of get in the door. But unless they spend years and decades of hard work cleaning themselves up and being righteous like the Pharisees, they're not worthy of full acceptance and fellowship, right? This, this is their issue with Jesus. It's not that he's preaching to sinners. They're fine with Jesus preaching to sinners. It's that he's eating and drinking and befriending them. And so they like this attitude of repentance from the younger son. They agree with what the younger son is saying. But this is where the trap's also about to spring. So look what happens next. It says that the younger son got up and went to his father... But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And that's, a dis- that's an extravagant display of love, right? First of all, I mean, this is a, a culture where fathers are supposed to be reserved and, you know, and very, like, not show emotion. And this father is making a fool of himself, running to his son. And also, this son has publicly disgraced his family, Right? And rather than waiting for him to come into the house where he can keep it behind closed doors, in public, in front of all the neighbors, the father runs to his son and embraces him, even though he's brought this disgrace on him. And the son, who seems kind of unsure what to make of this, launches into his prepared speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father doesn't even let him finish, right? He doesn't even get to the end of the speech where he says, make me like one of your hired servants. Instead, the father interrupts him and says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring a fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. The son doesn't even get a chance to make his offer to come back as a slave 
He doesn't even get a chance to finish repenting. The father demands nothing of him. The words aren't even out of his mouth when the father embraces him and showers him with honor. That's what all those commands are about. First, put the best robe on his shoulder, which presumably means the father's best robe, since the son has been gone. And put a ring on his finger, which almost certainly means one of the family rings with the family crest that you would use to, like, seal things and mark yourself with the authority of the family. And put sandals on his feet, right? Servants in this day went around barefoot, but the members of the household would have worn sandals. So put, you know, don't treat him like a servant and kill the fattened calf that we've been keeping for some kind of celebration or festival or offering, who knows, kill it, and let's throw a party to celebrate Because verse 24, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is where the trap is sprung on the Pharisees. Here's the point that Jesus is making in this first part of the story. He's contrasting the attitude of the Pharisees with the attitude of the Father. He's calling the Pharisees to recognize how their attitude in all of this is different from the Father. As you've probably guessed, the Father in this story stands for God, right? And the younger son stands in for the tax collectors and sinners. And what Jesus is doing is, first, he's agreeing with the Pharisees on one point. He's agreeing that these people have sinned in significant ways and that they need to repent— But then he is disagreeing with them about what they think God's response is. The Pharisees think that what happens when sinners repent, when these people seek restoration, is that they get like probation. That they get told to be on your best behavior and we'll see if down the road maybe we can work things out. But Jesus is saying that God's attitude in that moment of repentance is like the Father to embrace them and welcome them in, in delight, to restore them to that same position of sonship. That they had lost. He puts them in a place of honor and rejoices in their return. Put another way, the Pharisees and Jesus are disagreeing about the extent of God's grace. The extent of it. The Pharisees are okay with a little bit of grace. They're okay with like, okay, maybe we can let you in kind of in the bottom class of God's society. But Jesus is saying that it's God's grace the whole way through. That all of our sonship and belonging in God's family, all of that is a result of his kindness to us and his forgiveness. So that's the first part of the story. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But remember, like we said, already this is sort of a trap that Jesus is casting for the Pharisees. But he's not done speaking to them yet, because then he turns to the older son. It's a tale of two sons. So now look at what happens with the older son. Remember, this older son never left home. He's been there the whole time working in the field, and in fact, that's where we find him when he shows back up in the parable. Jesus says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. So he's out working faithfully for the father, and he hears the sounds of this party, and he asks what's going on, And the servant says, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And so the older son finds that out, and he is ticked off. It says that the older brother became angry and refused to go in, and so his father went out and pled with him. 
So he, he refuses to join the party. And the father begs him, come celebrate with us. And listen to the older son's response, because this is key to understanding what Jesus is trying to get us to see. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, but you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, and you kill the fattened calf for him. Here's what Jesus wants us to recognize. The younger son, when he repents, he says, I will come to my father, but I'm going to say, I won't be your son. Treat me like a slave, right? That's the younger son's attitude. I'm willing to become a slave, but the father in love refuses that and welcomes him as a son. Now look at the older son's words. He says, these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. The younger son thought that he needed to become a slave. The older son has always been a slave. You can also see that in the way he seems to think the father's love is something he's supposed to earn. He says, why didn't you give me a goat to celebrate with my friends? As if the way that family works is that I work hard for years and then I get paid in like goats so that I can have some stuff. He, He thinks that this is about earning a reward. He's not in it for the father's love or his sonship. He's in it for a goat. And he's angry about the father showing grace to this younger brother because he has not experienced the father's grace himself. He wants the younger brother to become a slave because that's what he's been all along. We should appreciate how wrong this older brother's attitude is. We said that by asking for his inheritance, the younger brother was in a sense saying, Dad, I don't care about you. You might as well be dead to me. Just give me the money. But the older son is really saying the same thing. He says, Dad, I've never cared about you. All I've been doing is working for you. Why haven't you given me any money. That heart is just as wrong as the first one. Now look at the father's response. He says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So first, he challenges the older son's view of himself. He's like, you're not my slave, you're my son. You've always been my son. And then he's challenging his view of his brother. He says, and so has your brother. You've both always been my children. And so we should celebrate his return. So Jesus isn't just challenging how the Pharisees view this, um, these sinners and tax collectors. What he's really doing is challenging how they view themselves. The older brother in this story is obviously meant to be them. And Jesus is saying, don't you see That this kind of grace that I'm offering to these sinners is the same grace that you're being invited to experience too. So that's the story of the two brothers who both misunderstand the father's love. What is Jesus trying to say to us in that? How is that supposed to meet us? I think what we're being invited to recognize is that Jesus says that there's, there's two ways that people tend to live in the world. There's two ways that people tend to live. Some people live in the way of like the open sinner, the person that's in kind of open rebellion against God. We can choose in kind of obvious, grandiose ways to be selfish and sinful and serve our appetites. That's the younger son, the sinner. 
And in the other way to live is to slave, to seek to be righteous and moral and good out of a desire to earn God's favor, to earn our place at the table. And religious people are often in this category. And that second kind of person is the slave, the older brother. Jesus is saying that you can live as a sinner or you can live as a slave. And it's worth asking in your heart which one you tend towards, because I think all of us lean in a certain direction. And then the shocking message of Jesus' story is that neither of those are the way that he is calling us to live. Neither of those approaches to life is Christianity. In either one of those approaches, we have failed to understand the Father's love. I meet some people who think that Christianity is not for them, and when I ask them why, they list their sins and failures and struggles. And I meet other people who think that Christianity is for them in the sense that they're really good, moral people, not like those sinners out there. And Jesus is saying that both of those groups are missing the Father's love. Both the sinners who feel they can't come and the slaves who think that they deserve to come have misunderstood the father's love. I mean, just think again about the father in this story, right? He's a father. Why does he love his sons? I mean, why do you, if you're a parent, love your children? I mean, when, when, when one of my kids is like, Daddy, do you love me? My response is not, let me get out the calculator. Let me tally it up and, you know, and see. It's simply like, yes, you're my child. Just by dint of being my child, I love you. And God's love in Christ is like that. He loves us simply because he chooses to love us. And no other reason. He invites us to be his sons and daughters and delights in us simply because he has chosen to do so. And so the question that we're supposed to ask in light of that, whether we are more sinner or whether we are more slave, is whether we will turn from that wrong way of living and experience the Father's love and come into the party. Where that question meets you probably just depends on which of those groups you tend to be in. I mean, maybe you're more the prodigal. Maybe you're more the open sinner, the person who tends to run from God, or you feel a burden of shame for the ways that you have rebelled against God. And maybe you're that person in the good times, and the party is still pretty good, and maybe you're that person in the bad times. And as it always does, the check has come, and you resonate with that son in the pigsty. If you're that person, the prodigal, Jesus is saying two things to you. He's saying, come home, recognize your folly. And that's hard, right? But we can't skip to the second thing he says. We have to recognize there among the pigs that the son has to wake up and just say, this is not working. And I need my father's house. He's calling us to repent and return but he's calling us to do that because, two, he's saying, come home because the Father loves you. I often hear people express the sentiment that if you just knew what I've done, if you just knew where I've been, that you would understand that Christianity isn't for me. And that is just not true. The Father could not care less where you have been. He couldn't care less. And if, if some human beings seem to care, like they have missed this whole thing, right? Um, he is eager to embrace you and he invites you to come in and forgive you and cover you with his robe and put his royal ring on your finger and treat you as one of his children, no matter what has happened 
before. He's eager to kill the fattened calf and welcome you in. Or maybe you're more the older brother, the slave. Uh, We're in a church, and I will be honest, a lot of church people are the older brother. This whole parable is really meant even more than inviting the sinner in to challenge them, um, to challenge a certain way of being religious that is just as common in our world as it is in Jesus's. So maybe you've worked hard and done all the things you're supposed to do and tried to obey diligently and tried to live faithfully, but you've done it out of a sense of duty. You've done it trying to earn God's love, or maybe not even earn his love at all, but just earn sort of blessings and a good, easy life. If you are that older brother, there's also two things that God would invite you to recognize, two things he's saying to you. One is recognize that you are just as far off as the prodigal, even though you think that you're at home. You might bear the father's name and do the father's work, you are not experiencing what it means to have him as your father and to be a child of God. Um, and if recognize that that's true, and then just hear the good news that the father loves you, too. The father loves you, but he is inviting you to stop living like that slave and instead learn what it means to come into the celebration of his grace. And I'll be honest, if you're in that place, the older brother place, that's going to be hard. In fact, I think in some ways that's a lot harder than the prodigal's return home. One of the things that always shakes my heart in this story is that the prodigal returns and experiences mercy, and the story ends with the elder brother still outside of the party, and it's still not clear whether he's going to choose to come in. We don't know whether the slave will recognize his slavery and embrace sonship. But while that is hard, if that is you, that is also one of the most freeing, beautiful things you can experience. To move from that place of bondage to one of welcome and life and childlike relationship with God. So friends, wherever you are in that story, that is is the heart of what it means to believe the good news of Jesus. To be a Christian. The good news comes to all of us, whether we are a sinner or whether we are a slave, and says, turn from this wrong way of living. Turn from this wrong way of living and draw near to the Father because he will run to meet you and welcome you in. That is the hope that Jesus is trying to offer. And all I'm going to invite you to do this week is to take some time today or sometime this week and read through this story again and reflect on where you fit into it, on which of the brothers fits your heart, and then come into the family and join the party because the Father will clothe you with righteousness and kill the fattened calf and welcome you in. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you are so kind to us. You are so gracious to me, though I, in so many ways, can be both of these sons. I pray that you might teach us all to recognize the beautiful blessing of your grace and come to you in joy. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, to whom all of this is possible. Amen.